thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, good morning, Connect Church, and happy Father's Day. One of our newest dads right there. I see your baby for the first time. She's so beautiful. Happy Father's Day to all our dads out there. We are so grateful that you are here today as together we get the opportunity to make much of Jesus. Brother Charlie, your family, just welcome today as we celebrate little Charlie, a beloved family in our, our community. We are glad everybody is here. I found a great definition of dad, and that is this. Dad is a noun. You ready? Is a father, a guardian, a provider, protector, and friend, teacher, mentor, inspiration, listener. And, and listen to me, moms. At least give us this. We're the best huggers on the planet, okay? And so that's important to know. Best huggers on the planet. We also know this. Sports fanatics, fixer-upper, handyman, mower man, taxi, bank, and chef. Tough on the outside, soft in the middle. And I want to say this. Thank you for being the best dad that your kids could ask for. Thank you for being Dad, last week we were down at camp, and uh, as Pastor Dominic shared, our whole staff just abandoned Sevier County and, and heads to camp, and I mean, just loved it. But as I was walking on the beach one morning, I had my four-year-old son, Bennett, next to me. And uh, every morning, we got out to the beach, we had one goal in mind, and that was to kill sharks, okay? And so we walked the beaches every morning, and we're out where the waves would crash in, and we'd walk on the sand there, and, and we were hunting sharks sharks because my son was convinced we were going to kill a shark with our bare hands. I would love, I prayed, Lord, would you just send a small one our way? Like, just, just to see what he does. Uh, it never came. But he was walking beside me one morning, and I noticed he kind of disappeared from walking beside me. And I could hear as I kind of turned behind me that he was jumping in the sand as it was real wet once the, the waves had receded. And I looked back and I said, I said, son, what are you doing? He says, look, Dad, I'm stepping on your feet. I'm stepping on your feet. And I look back, and, and I, what he was doing was, was he was jumping with both of his feet into the imprints of my feet into the sand. And so I look back, and I saw his two tiny little feet in the imprint of my footsteps. And I had this thought. I knew Father's Day was coming. I just simply had this thought. I, my prayer is, is that Bennett and my girls would always follow in my footsteps as I am the one who yells out to Jesus, say, hey, Jesus, I'm stepping all over your feet. I, I, I'm, I'm stepping where you've called me to step. I'm walking where you've empowered me to walk. And then I begin to realize how important of a role being a dad really is. That they would... That my kids would walk in my footsteps as I walk in the footsteps of Jesus. That they would, they would walk in integrity as I, I do my best to walk in integrity. That they would, they would walk in the same way that I love my wife. That one day that they'll love their husband, their wives one day. And that most of all that they would always walk in the steps that the Lord has ordered for them. And you know what I begin to think, dads? You have one of the greatest imprints on the heart's and minds and lives of your kids. Keep up the good work. Keep being a good and godly dad. And keep telling dad jokes 
as much as you possibly can. I, listen, I know I'm going to get in trouble for this one, but I'm just going to share a dad joke uh, real quick. So this last week, my, my daughter Chloe, she's my, uh, my middle daughter. She's got blonde hair and blue eyes. We were at camp, and she, um, she called and FaceTimed her granddad. And uh, y'all know our, our granddad, he's an elder here at the church. He sings music, all that stuff. Well, um, they, they're on FaceTime, and granddad says, Hey, Chloe, before you go, let me tell you a joke. And in my mind, I went, uh-oh. Because you don't know what kind of joke granddad's got. But we're going we're gonna to see what happens here. And, and I'm going to tell the joke with you. I do not condone this, and I don't want emails about this, okay? But here was the dad joke. <laughs> Stupid. Anyway, here's the dad joke. He said, hey, Chloe, why, why do ducks have tail feathers? And she's like, Granddad, why, why, why do ducks have tail feathers? And he said, to cover their butt quack. And listen, my daughter, listen, I'm going to tell you something. My daughter lost it. She, she laughed so loud, she started snorting. It was just the craziest thing. And I, I remember thinking, man, what a bad joke. And here's my, my daughter laughing, but here's what happened. You ready? Um, she told everybody at camp. She stopped people randomly that were not with our group and shared with them this dad joke and almost got the pastor and his family kicked out of camp. Hey, but dads, keep telling your dad jokes. Hey, by the way, camp was awesome. God still uses camp. I, I love hanging out with our students. Watching God work and move in them is something that I will never, ever, ever get over. Connect Church, you ready? We don't have a student ministry. We are a student ministry here at Connect Church, and we love our students, and you love them so well. Camp was incredible. To the team, to Pastor Dominic and his leadership, Man, thank you guys for loving our students to Jesus uh, so well. Now, to our series here in Nehemiah. And what we begin as we continue today is something is clear, that in the life of Nehemiah, that God is at work. You see, God had put a vision in the heart of Nehemiah to rebuild the broken walls, the broken lives of the people in Jerusalem. Last week, Dominic, in chapter 3 of ne Nehemiah, talked with you about how contagious that vision was, so much so that the people came together and they began to rebuild the wall. It wasn't just God who rebuilt the wall. It wasn't just Nehemiah on a Lone Ranger mission. But all the people gathered together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But here's a hard reality. Here's a tough truth today, you ready? That every time believers come together, that every time believers work together, there is an enemy who seeks to tear them apart. An enemy who seeks to tear you apart. So I want to share with you another building block of vision today. And that is this truth right here. That spiritual activity breeds spiritual activity. Now, I'm going to wait a second. In the early service, this whole wall came tumbling down right at this point. And I had to call on my staff, and they came up here, and they put it back together. Trump would have been proud. It was just really a quick moment here, but um, we're good. But let me teach you this truth. You ready? Spiritual activity always breeds 
spiritual activity. Meaning this, that wherever and whenever God is at work, there's an enemy who's on the move. Whenever, wherever God is at work, there is an enemy that is on the move. No matter where we look in the Word of God in the Bible, the enemy moves into position every opportunity he gets to stop the work of God and to do everything to get God's people to quit. And so I have one goal today in a series of messages about opposition that will take the next couple of weeks. I have one aim today, and that is this, is to convince every believer, every follower of Christ to get ready. For where God is at work, the enemy is on the move. So let's go back to Nehemiah's big moment for one minute. We find this culmination of this burden, this great burden in Nehemiah for his people and, and for Jerusalem, which gave birth to God-sized vision, which ushered him in to the presence of King Artaxerxes. And then we watch at the end of chapter 1, into chapter 2, things just get a little bit crazy. Things just seem a little bit foolish here. As a terrified Nehemiah stands before a powerful Persian king, and he begins to ask him his blessings to rebuild a wall in Jerusalem. Walls that, mind you, were torn down for a reason, so that no longer would the people of God be a threat to the Babylonians or the Persians. And not only does he ask him for his blessing, he asks for security. He asked for resources, not only to rebuild the walls, but hey, by the way, I need a home near the construction site. Could you make that happen? And you look at that and you go, and this seems a little crazy on Nehemiah's part. Doesn't it seem just a little foolish, especially in light of Ezra, chapter 4, verse 21, where King Artaxerxes just years before issued this decree, writing this law. Now issue an order, he said, to stop, for these men to stop work so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order it. And so we have Nehemiah not only having these huge requests, but now he's asking the king to go back on an edict, an order he already had issued. Nehemiah knew this, that it would take the very power and favor of God to move the heart of the king. And we see just that happen the very power and favor of God at work in not only Nehemiah, but in the Persian king's heart to give him what he requested. But I, I got to thinking about those folks who always stay around the king. Listen to Nehemiah, this cupbearer, seeking to be a first-generation general contractor, listening to his request. I bet you the people are going, uh-oh. <laughs> this guy's a fool. Hey, this guy's crazy. I want you to hear me. There's a point in all vision that God gives his people that at some point in that you're going to look foolish and you're going to look crazy. About a year and a half, two years ago, in the heart of the pandemic, now mind you, we were less than a year and a half old when we went head on into the pandemic as a church. In that time, God still was giving us a strong heart and a strong vision for the next five years of our baby church here at Connect Church. And I remember meeting with our deacons and our elders. In fact, I believe we were socially distant six feet apart. It was just, just nuts. And it was in that meeting, 
not knowing what the future held for our church. I said, guys, we, we, we gotta, we've got to put this on paper, a five-year vision for Connect Church, a, a new home to support our growth and, and a Christian school and, and just to watch God move in the many ministry areas that he's already moving in. And honestly, when I left that meeting that afternoon, I just thought to myself, man, I just, this sounds crazy. Man, what am I, what am I doing? God, have I, have I missed you? And then Clayton Emman, one of our deacons here at Connect Church, who I love, who randomly sends me inspirational text throughout the week. He sent me this. Noah looked like a fool until it started to rain. Keep building. Keep, keep building. Noah looked like a fool until it started to rain. Keep building. And I got to thinking about how many works of God look to those on the outside as foolish or crazy until it was vision accomplished. Speaking of walls, remember the time that God had Joshua order his army to march around that strong, tall, fortified those walls of Jericho for six days? Then on the seventh day, the men and the priests, they were to blow their trumpets, they were to march around that city seven times, and then they were to let out a big old shout. Can you imagine what the people behind the walls of Jericho were doing? Those people are crazy. That's small people out there just marching around our walls. And now they're, they're blowing trumpets. And now they're letting out a shout. And they're, they're crazy. They're foolish. Until Joshua chapter 6, verse 20 tells us that the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. And watch this. They took the city. Joshua and the people of God seemed crazy and foolish until those mighty walls of Jericho came tumbling down. I think of the story of the only one of the Lord's prophets left, it seemed. Elijah, before 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. In 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, here was the proposition he threw out there. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And so Elijah tells the men, prepare two altars. One would be an altar to the Lord. The other would be an altar to their fairy tale in the sky. Put a bull on it. Cut it to pieces. Put him on the wood. And the God who answers with fire, that's the one true God. Well, those 450 prophets of Baal, they got the first dibs. They start calling out to their God, and one day we'll get furthermore in the story. But it just gets ridiculous. And shocker, Baal never shows up because there's no such thing as Baal. He never shows up. And now it was Elijah's turn to stand before 450 prophets. And he stands there at his altar and he tells the men, hey, fill up four jars. I want you to drench it. Hey, you know what? Do it again. One last time for good measure. Soak that offering. And then he cries out to the Lord, the one true God. I can imagine if you and I were one of those 450 prophets of Baal, that dude's losing his mind. He's crazy. That's, that's foolish. 
And that's exactly what Elijah seemed like until verse 38 tells us that the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. And also, watch this, it licked up the water and the trenches. Elijah seemed crazy and foolish until the fire fell that day. And so now our minds turn back to Nehemiah who must have looked foolish, his vision crazy, until chapter 3 last week, we see the rebuilding effort begin. And now that it is clear that God is at work, the enemies of God make their move. They are armed with an effective weapon that has killed many of vision. You ready? That weapon, criticism. Criticism. The weapon of their words. Next week, we're going to spend the entire sermon dealing with how to honor God and to deal with enemies and their weapon of criticism. But today, this is the weapon they use in the text. And we find ourselves with Nehemiah as these enemies wield this weapon of their words. We find that Nehemiah is up for the task. What might have seemed foolish Even crazy was nothing short of a work of God and Nehemiah. And what we're going to see over the next two weeks are these enemies on the move to stop this vision, to stop this work of God at all costs in order to get, you ready? Nehemiah to quit. And so we find it here in Nehemiah chapter 2, the first opposition that raises up. When Sambat, man, I don't like that guy. The Horonite. So by the Ammonite, the official heard about this. They were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare, the Bible says, of the Israelites. Here's what's clear from the text. You ready? Sanballat and Tobiah, they were no fans of the people of God. It's clear in this text and text we're going to study over the next couple of weeks that they have set themselves up as enemies of God, which put the one walking with God, Nehemiah, in their crosshairs. Later on in Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah now on the ground in, in, in Jerusalem, as you well know, Samballat, that governor of Samaria, Tobiah, that leader of the Ammonites, and Jeshem, now the Arab, waged a war of words and criticism against Nehemiah and the people of God. Here's just a taste of it. In, in chapter 2, verse 19, but when Samballat the Horonite, the Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Jeshem the Arab heard about it, watch this, grown men, are mocking and ridiculing them. What is it that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Grown men mocking and ridiculing and even throwing lies at Nehemiah. And here's a sad reality that we all must be aware of. You ready? That oftentimes vision dies at the feet of our critics. If you're not careful... Your vision, the vision that God has given you, the mission that God has sent you on will die at the feet of your critics if you let it. You might ask this of the text. Why are they so mad? And by the way, just let me remind Nehemiah in this text if I could. The enemy's coming. But Nehemiah, keep building. Because why they're mad has very little to do with Nehemiah. Why are they so mad? Well, we know this, 
That Sanballat, who seems to be this ringleader of the gang, he's governor of Samaria. Therefore, the jurisdiction of Jerusalem and its walls follow, uh, fall under his control. Why is he mad? Because Nehemiah has gone around him and his authority, and he's appealed straight to the king and requested of the king that the walls be rebuilt. And the king said yes, and now Sanballat, he is stuck with having the walls rebuilt, by the way, in his backyard. Here what we, here's what we find out about Sanballat. Are you ready? He didn't want to give up control. And he didn't want things to change. Hey, guys, vision always pushes against those who have things in their control and people who don't want anything to change. Therefore, Nehemiah, his vision, and yes, his God were a threat to them and they must be stopped. I want you to hear me, church. Vision is going to be one of two things. It's either going to be celebrated or it's going to be criticized. It'll either be embraced by others or it will enrage others. And in the case of Sanballat and his gang, they were enraged by Nehemiah and his vision. Why? Well, the very nature of vision is that God takes control and something must change. Hey, by the way, I don't know if you know this about you, but I know this about me. In our very nature, we're not really good at giving up control, are we? We, we really don't want things to change. I love this quote in Andy Stanley's book, Out of Visioneering. He says, whenever you attempt to bring about change, it plays on the insecurities of those who may have grown accustomed to the way things are and the way things have always been. Those walls had been broken for a hundred years. Well, the officials, the leaders were certainly fine with that. They posed no threat. But sadly, the people of God had come accustomed to things simply being broken. And it began to break them. And so we find that God is letting it known through the vision of Nehemiah that things will no longer be this way. You're reminded of this, that vision sees what could be and should be and makes it so. Back when I was in Charlotte, uh, before we moved back home to plant this church, um, I teamed up with a ministry started by wealthy young CEOs in the city of Charlotte who were awakened to what was going on in the backyard of their community and our churches there. And that was that there was an abortion clinic there that was the most productive and lucrative abortion clinic in the Southeast. These young CEOs couldn't stomach it. And so they started a ministry called Love Life Charlotte. It's not called that anymore. It's just Love Life because they are in almost every major city there is. And their vision was simply this to mobilize the community and the church to pray, to pray life over your city. And man, that's exactly what we did every Saturday for a season throughout the year that they send the church and the community to walk in front of the prayer walk right in front of the abortion clinic. Now, now listen, never once did we shout or scream. We didn't show pictures. We didn't bang on doors. 
We literally, right across the street from the abortion clinic, gather together to pray. We had a, a, a mobile ultrasound unit. So for free, mamas could see their babies. We had resources for mamas that if they would choose life, that we would help take care of their, their babies and their cost. And, and churches would throw them baby showers. For every mom who went ahead and went into the abortion clinic and came out, we were there to walk with them in some of the hardest days of their life. If we're not careful, we think abortion only has one casualty of the child. No, there's a casualty of a mom and a dad and grandparents and family. We knew the abortionists' names, the doctors who carried out the abortions, and we prayed for them every Saturday. We knew their staff, and we prayed over their names. In fact, we had a program with some businesses in Charlotte that if you were a staff member at that abortion clinic and you were to leave and quit your job, we would get you a better paying job, a better job with better benefits if you would just come out of that clinic. And by the way, we saw a lot of people do that. You know, every Saturday they would post at the end of the day that throughout that week as we had a presence there, that on this week over 20 families were saved. Don't you love that language? Not just 20 children were saved. 20 families were saved through the power of prayer. But listen here. When and where God is at work, the enemy's on the move. It was back in 2016 that I remember the Charlotte City Council had come together, and, and they were a lot of people on that council that did not believe anything we believed in. And so they worked to strip us of our right to lawfully and peacefully stand across the street and just pray. It was a big deal. It was all over the news in that area. To the glory of God, every attack and attempt of our enemies there, they just fell through. Man, we, we were allowed to continue to do that. And, and what was amazing, I knew this Saturday coming up, when I had planned to take my students again down to the abortion clinic to pray, I knew it was going to be contentious. In fact, there were hundreds of people on our side, this is kind of what it would look like at a love life prayer walk. And I'd have about 30, 40 students with me, and we would just go and we'd start at one location, walk in front of the abortion clinic and just pray. But on that day, because there was so much contention, there were hundreds of us. But then there was also a really loud handful of folks advocating abortion that showed up to protest us being there. They were mad we were praying. I told our students, listen, this principle I've known for you, God doesn't work, the enemy's going to be on the move, so just be prepared. Well, while we're standing in front of the abortion clinic, I've got my students there, they were mostly girls. A lady from across the street just zeroed in on our youth group out of the many people there. She literally barreled through the crowd throwing elbows. And I stood in front of my group and said, hey guys, come on, let's get together right here. They're praying, so just keep praying. I was convinced this lady could beat me up, okay? She was scary. She was yelling out the most vile and disgusting of language and words. And She pulled out her phone, stuck it in the face of my girls and said, see this girl right here doing a selfie video? See, she's going to be here within the next year. All of these girls are going to have a Porsche. 
It was just awful. I remember thinking, Anthony, you got to fight back against this woman. And I'm just going to shield my kids because there's something at work in her that's darker than just political chatter and activity. And so what I did was I put my arms around my kids, my students, said, just keep praying. And here's what I was praying, a very short prayer, one of those arrow prayers we talked about the other Sunday. And here's what I prayed. God, would you shut her mouth and would you save her soul? God, would you, would you shut her mouth and would you save her soul? God, would you shut her mouth and would you save her soul? And the last time I prayed that, all of a sudden two police officers come into the crowd. They grab her by both arms and slam her down. The bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? Theme music going on in the background. One of the greatest moments I've ever been alive. And guess what? God shut her mouth. But it's still my, my prayer to this day that God will save her soul. We got done and I brought my students. It was, it was tough. You know, I got to tell those kids that day, spiritual activity always breeds spiritual activity. Where God is at work, the enemy will always be on the move. That year, I received a box from Love Life Charlotte. And um, now they're a national thing. I was in just the early days and just really a big support of theirs. And they gave me this box. And on the outside is a picture of Ezra reading a, skull, a scroll and, and then Nehemiah. And they're building a wall. And he has this quote out of Nehemiah 2.17. Come, let us rebuild the wall. In it, there's a thank you note from back then. There's a, there's a celebration note that that year, that 40-week period that we prayed on Saturdays, that 411 families were saved through prayer and God being at work. But also in this box, which I thought was very cool, was the vision of love life. And that was this, these young CEOs would mobilize a community and church. You know what they said? They said, God forbid there was a school shooting happen in our area. Every officer, emergency response vehicle would flood that school. Everybody from the community would be there. And they would, they would, they would be in horror of what happened. He says, but every single day, the very same thing happens in this place and nobody comes. And so through this vision, they mobilized the church and community. And you know what they're still working for today? Not only in Charlotte, but in Los Angeles and Chicago and places like that. Is they're praying that one day, they will take hold of, they will purchase the abortion clinics. They will wipe them from the face of the earth and bulldoze them down. And then they gave out bricks just like this one. So that one day, we'll gather together again not across the street, but in the parking lot. And we'll lay down these bricks as the first bricks on the walls to build what will be the greatest adoption agency on the planet to find every child a loving home and a family and to afford every child the chance at life. A brick 
building a vision that God had given a couple of young CEOs in Charlotte. What enemy is coming up against the vision God's laid on your heart? Hey, what enemy is coming after you as you take part in God's mission to save the world? Church, we cannot be caught off guard when spiritual activity breeds spiritual activity. We cannot be caught off guard when God is at work. We've got to know that enemy is on the move. And so two closing challenges. Number one, don't be caught off guard. Don't be caught off guard. Hey, are you a visionary? Are you a believer? Are you a follower of Christ? Let me teach you this truth, you ready? The presence of an enemy doesn't mean the absence of God. Rather, it is evidence of God at work in your life. The presence of an enemy doesn't mean the absence of God. Rather, it is evidence of God at work in your life. There's some weeks I get to the end of the week, and I've not had an enemy come at me. And I'll be honest with you, oftentimes I'll sit down and go, God, where have I missed you this week? I miss my enemies. I want God to be at work in my life and life of my family and our church. And so I can't be caught off guard. When God is at work, the enemy is on the move. And let me teach you something about our enemy. He doesn't waste his time on those who waste their God-given calling, vision, and life. He comes after those with skin in the game, who walk in obedience to Christ and his word. And one of the most famous passages about the devil, about the enemy, we find in 1 Peter. But I want to read just a different version. Um, Eugene Peterson did a paraphrase of the Bible. And it's just a, his commentary on the passages. And I love how he wrote this. On 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. Keep a cool head. Stay alert. The devil, he is poised to pounce and would like nothing better than to catch you napping. The church doesn't need to be woke. It needs to be awakened. It's time that we wake up and we quit our napping. He says this, keep your guard up. You're not the only ones plunged into these hard times. It's the same with Christians all over the world. So keep a firm grip on the faith. This suffering won't last forever. I love how he paraphrases this. He says, it won't be long before the generous God who has great plans for us in Christ, eternal and glorious plans they are, will have you put together and on your feet for good. Watch this. He gets the last word. Yes, he does. Church? Yeah. Don't be caught off guard. When God is at work in your life and that enemy's on the move. First John 4 4. I'm reminded that greater is he who's in me. Hey, greater is Jesus in you than any old enemy in this world. Don't be caught off guard, and the last bit of this is keep building. Noah looked like a fool 
until it started to rain. Keep building. Keep building. Keep building the vision God has given you. Keep building on the mission that God has saved you to. Keep building stronger marriages. Keep building Jesus-loving kids. Keep building relationships with those who are far from God in need of the gospel. Keep building the business, the career, the vocation, the education that God has given you a passion for. Keep advancing. Keep building his kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. Nehemiah, Keep building. Believer, keep building. Keep building. On October 29th, 1941, Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of Great Britain, his nation for two years by that point plunged into a war against Hitler, his Nazis, and Germany. He stood before his alma mater, went in the midst of this war and and stood before those young students and he addressed them with a very short speech on that October 29th day. Part of that speech will forever be remembered as one of the more powerful words ever spoken in wartime. And he stood before a weary and young crowd of men and he simply said this, never Give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty. Never give in except for the conviction of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Never give in. When God is at work in your life, the enemy will be on the move. Believer, hear me, never give in. Never yield to force and never yield to an enemy, even if it seems that they have an overwhelming might. Never, ever give in. God is at work. Your enemy's on the move. Bring it. Bring it. Never yield. Keep building. Today is not only the celebration of Father's Day, but it's a a newer national holiday, Juneteenth. Celebrates on this day, June 19th, 1865, where the Emancipation Proclamation that two and a half years earlier on January 1st, 1863, was signed into law. President Abraham Lincoln. June 19th celebrates that moment two and a half years later when the final slaves in Galveston, Texas, were told of their freedom. They didn't know that they had been freed for some two and a half years until word got to them. And what a wonderful moment that must have been. But you know what it's a reminder to us today, church? That good news is only good news if it gets there in time. That good news is only good news if it gets there in time. And there is a world out there that is facing an enemy of sin that apart from Jesus has a 100% kill rate. 
that'll destroy them. That they need freedom from. An enemy they cannot defeat themselves. And you know that to be true, don't you? You couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Only God clothed in the flesh through Jesus who died upon the cross for our sin and emptied that old grave, defeating that enemy. Only Jesus could do it. And yet there's still people, 75,000 of which are nobody's church today, and many of which have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. Remember this. Good news is only good news if you and I get it there in time. Keep building. And let's get the news there. Let's pray together, can we? Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.